Coming up on Chasing the Natty, it's week four, and we as college football fans are absolutely spoiled this weekend with a bunch of great matchups that, on paper, should help us see some of the best of the best go against each other at a really early point in the season. We'll be touching on some of those big-time matchups and what kind of questions they could be answering for us moving forward. We'll also be discussing how we're evaluating our college fantasy teams up until this point, and then we'll be answering, of course, another round of your fan-submitted start-and-sit scenarios for Week 4. All this and more coming right after this. Caleb Williams dancing, cutting, mesmerizing run by the quarterback. Marvin Harrison... Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the all-time drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Wednesday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus Canton Podcast Network. You will find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday and Wednesday morning during the season at 6 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work that we are doing here, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our three marvelous tiers. You'll find everything you need there for your CFF, Davi, C2C, and betting needs, including rankings, projections, tools, and even more than that. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. And our reoccurring guest for the season, Mr. Justin, can be found on Twitter at Volume Pig. Speaking of Justin, Justin, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing good. Yeah, I, uh, in my personal life, completed like a major sort of work project yesterday. So today was sort of more of a chill, relaxed day. So I'm feeling good. Uh, today for this show uh, this weekend of course as well was a great weekend of college football uh, always is I guess uh, some really great games and obviously another great weekend coming up here so can't complain we're in the midst of the season uh, it's fantastic <laughs> did you stay up late to watch the Colorado Colorado State game of course yeah and I I, I didn't enjoy it uh, I was kind <laughs> of annoyed that I had to stay up basically until like 2 30 to complete that game it was worth it, but uh, yeah, I would have preferred that they just started that game at 7 o'clock, uh, like reasonable people would. Yeah, it wasn't too late for them, I guess. I Well, it was even past their bedtime for them over there, because it was still like 11.30 by the time the West Coast kind of finished up, so they were all sitting there like, golly, this is late. Uh, I, I didn't even check to see like what time that game was on. I just assumed it would be on like, at some point in the afternoon or evening, because it was like a, you know, a huge matchup. I just assumed they flexed it to a, like, a regular time. Come no, to find out, it was at like 10 o'clock. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, no, it was absolutely crazy. Again, I, I know me and Xavier were watching it together, and he was, uh, right about halftime, he was like, alright, I gotta go to bed, I gotta, I gotta be, get ready for work. 
uh this week and i'm like all right whatever i'm like i might watch till like the end of the third quarter then go to bed because it seems like it's a pretty interesting game but you know i gotta sleep and then by the time the game got to the fourth quarter i'm like all right yeah i'm up i'm in this for the long haul and then overtime came and i'm like well shoot i guess i didn't need sleep anyway so if i seemed any kind of lethargic on this week's uh ctn waiver episode uh that's why i'm still recovering from staying up way past my normal bedtime if y'all have listened to me for a long time you know for a fact i do not like staying up that late i'm very much an early to bed early to rise kind of guy but even still that's enough about this past week justin like i said in the intro we have a awesome awesome week ahead of us for college football again normally we talk about a lot of high scoring matchups and stuff like that what we're looking for in fantasy but like this slate's too good to pass up some of these games to discuss so we'll get to that in a second but one thing I wanted to discuss, kind of, we're, we're already a quarter of the way through the college football regular season. We're done with three weeks. We've got 10 left. So it's like roughly about a quarter. People are really starting to get a feel of what their teams are made of. You're either starting 3-0, and like you're, you're scoring number one every single week. You're feeling good. You're riding high. You are also could be the guy who's 0-3. You're sitting there like, oh, God, my team hasn't been competitive at all this year. And all the waiver guys that I've picked up have turned out to be stinkers the very next week. Just hasn't been working out so far. And then you got, of course, a lot of people in between. You could have a really good team, 3-0. and but, you know, you barely squeaked by every one of your weeks or you're 0-3. Maybe you just got screwed over three weeks in a row scoring. Like, maybe you lost by less than five points three weeks in a row. There's a whole range of where you could be right now. But, Justin, you and I both play in a lot of leagues. So, we're both looking at our multi- multiple teams, and we're probably all over the spectrum in the different leagues. So, I'm going to ask you, when you look at those different teams at different stages, at different levels in terms of their competitiveness... How do you evaluate, first of all, how do you determine just how good you, how good or bad a team is so far? And then two, once you decide that, how do you typically shift your strategy moving forward during the season? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And uh, I don't want to brag. I'm only in three leagues uh, this season. Uh, in one league, I'm eight and one, which is the league we're in, Jared, 2014 league. Play three games a week. That's why the, the record is so high. In my home league, uh, I'm two and one. I took a loss this weekend, unfortunately, to Felix Sharp, uh, Garrett Schrader. Uh, that that one hurt. Uh, and then in John Lobb's Pros vs. Joe's league, uh, I'm three and three. Uh, I lost both my games opening weekend. Braylon Braxton went down, scored like one point, basically tanked uh, any chances of winning. In terms of evaluating each team, you know, the context is important, not just the record. Uh, so, for example, like last year, I was also in John's uh, pros versus Joe's league, and I started the season off 0-4. He played like two teams per week, so it's basically mm-hmm. like 0-2, but I was 0-4. But the team was actually quite good. What happened was week one was just unlucky. Week two, I had two players DNP, so Zach Charbonnet didn't play with no warning. Romo Dunze also didn't play, no warning. And one of the games I lost was by 0.2 points with two with two DNPs. So I knew my team was actually quite good. So 0-4, yeah, you know, I felt probably it's going to be tough to make the playoffs, but the team is quite good. I don't need to demolish anything. So context is important. Like, is your team, are you close at least to winning? You know, if you're getting demolished in the scoreboard and, you know, the outcomes that are happening are not weird sort of one-offs, like, you know, if, you're, if your opponent had a 50-point or 40-point player this weekend and you lost, you know, there's not much you can do about that. But... You know, if your players are not seeing the volume 
which is sort of a key indicator. Like, how do you think their season is going to go? Like, if you thought you had running backs that were going to be bell cows for you and they're just not seeing the volume and those are the guys you're relying on, it's time to probably make a change at this point. Like, guys like Rodney Hammond, dare I say, even Jace McClellan, I know we disagree on him, but players like that where you have to start to make a tough decision and say, I thought he was a player we could rely on. He's not. And I don't know if we can continue going that way. If you're 0-3, you know, I'd say obviously you have to make some kind of changes, even if, you know, the games have been kind of close. You probably want to shake something up. Something's wrong. You're 3-0. and I mean, yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, again, context is important. You know, if you're just barely squeaking by, you know, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Maybe you're not as dominant as the record suggests. Uh, but, you know, 3-0, and you know, basically what you're doing is working. I'd say just keep going with that. Yeah, and I think... You know, like you said, obviously, if you're 3-0, and like, clearly you're doing something right. If you're 0-3, clearly you're doing something wrong. You got to evaluate and change something. But I, ha- I, I kind of told people on the waiver wire episode that, like, even if you're doing super well so far, like, do not get complacent. Do not start thinking that your team does not need any changes, that maybe you can, you know, you're kind of okay not getting anybody off the waiver wire this week because, you know, your team's just so freaking good. You got to keep evaluating. You got to keep evolving throughout the season. I've made that mistake before. I start off super, super well. And then, you know, I might get a little lazy through weeks like three through four, maybe five. And you're sitting there like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, some waiver wire guys. That's totally fine. But you're stuck with a bunch of guys that you don't even realize are slowly but surely decreasing their value as the season goes along. You got to be careful about that kind of stuff. You got to be paying attention to, to that kind of thing. The other thing I'll kind of throw out there again, I'm really talking about some of these kind of three and and0 teams that kind of are feeling really good about themselves right now. Don't feel good about yourself. No, that's not what I'm doing here. Um, what you should do though is you do need to kind of look at look at what who you started and who you sat the last couple of weeks. Are you three and O because you just happen to have the perfect lineup for your week? Now, granted, that's a testament to your skill in terms of who you should start and who you should sit. But as we all kind of know, the start and sit game in college fantasy is a totally different game than the NFL. For the most part and so there is you know a little bit of luck involved there so if you're starting three weeks in a row where your entire starting lineup is basically the perfect lineup you might as well be running a best ball because you just have the perfect lineup every single week just know that that's not always going to be the case you're gonna have to make sure that you have the depth to where the guys on the bench aren't just completely crapping the bed and you're just getting lucky about who you're starting that's something else i would definitely kind of throw out there to make sure that you're evaluating as you're going along. Last thing, and again, I'll kind of throw out to the teams here that are struggling there at 0-3. Justin, you put out a tweet recently about how scarce like the running back position is. You kind of pointed out mm-hmm. the fact that like, you know, this it's important to get running back right in drafts because the waiver wire just isn't as you know, there, there's an abundance of wide receiver options that kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. Quarterbacks come out of nowhere, but running backs, not as lucky when it comes to that. So I would say for those of you who are 0-3, you're really, really struggling. It's time to start taking some shots. Take some shots on guys that normally, like, don't go for the safe, oh, but he gets like 12, or, he gets 15 carries a game. If he's not explosive, that's not who you need on your team. You need to be picking up guys that, even if they're only getting 12 carries a game, they, like, if you're, again, this is for the teams that are truly, truly struggling, you just need the home run play to or, in order to be competitive. 
take some guys off the waiver wire that may not get the volume, but you know they are exposed that they can hit a home run play. They can take it 90 yards to the house. They can outrun like guys like Jalen Lucas. I talked about him on the waiver wire uh, show recently. I didn't put him as one of my pickups because I'm like, eh, I don't like him. He's not safe enough with the volume that he has. But if you're a team that's like in desperate need of running backs and you're just looking for a guy that can take it to the house on any given play, that's the kind of guy that you go take a shot on, I would say. So again, it's a, that's where I think the shift in strategy comes if you're really kind of falling behind and you're just looking for anything to get your team going. That's the kind of player I might target a little bit more. Do you agree with that, Justin, or you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would second that uh, 100%. Jalen Lucas is actually a player I mentioned in my waiver wire report also, and exact same sentiment. It's not a player like I would target on the teams that I'm on currently. It's not really my type of player. But if you're desperate at the position and you need like a spark, that's a, the type of player that potentially, you know, might offer you sort of a way out of that hole. Because uh, there really isn't anybody, like it, it doesn't exist right now on the wire. Like you're not going to find the 20 carry explosive running back. They're all gone, basically. I mean, unless you're in the probably shallow, the very shallow. Only, probably the only one out there is Amani Bailey for TCU. That's probably the only one out yeah, there well, available he, in a wide variety of leagues. Yeah, the, the leagues I play in, I think, just warp my mind because like he's not available in any of my leagues, so I just assume he's not available in anybody else's. But yeah, he probably is available in a lot of leagues. He'd be a guy you have to pick him up this week. If you need a running back, uh, spend you know an, un- an unreasonable amount of your fat budget if need be because I don't know if any others are going to come around barring like an injury to some other RB1. So you got you got to take advantage when they emerge. All right, Justin, we got any more thoughts on this? Again, just a quick little discussion I thought we would kind of have here to start the show, but now we can move on into the games of the week if you got nothing else to say. No, no, let's move on. All righty, moving on. Let's go ahead and start talking about some of these games. Again, we are absolutely spoiled this weekend. We got a ton of ranked v. ranked matchups for us to go through, but... We're going to start with a non-ranked v. ranked matchup. We're going to go back to our roots here, going to go for some high-scoring games. But this is also one of my favorite underrated rivalries in college football. The battle for the iron skillets between TCU and SMU. I think this could have been a really fun Big 12 matchup if the Big 12 could have gone and nabbed SMU. I'm pretty sure TCU was, you know, single-handedly lobbying to make sure they could they did not bring in SMU. But, you know, say la vie. Anyway... Over-under in this game, 63.5. TCU favored by less than a touchdown. So both teams are fully expected to score a ton in this game. Justin, looking at this matchup, what are you kind of expecting here? What answers would you like to have come out of this game? Um, I don't know if I have that many questions. I mean, in terms of players, really the only player that I'd be interested in is Bailey, the running back for TCU. I'm sort of done uh, with SMU. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, I'm not, you know, at this point, there isn't really a wide receiver that intrigues me. There's sort of different guys that are doing okay on different weeks. I mean, my, my, my boy, Roger Daniels, had a pretty good game this past weekend, but he's not a player that, you know, in the regular CFF league demands a roster spot, at least not at this point. Uh, so SMU, I'm not really, I mean, even the tight end, it hasn't really lived up to expectations. Nope. Uh, so on the, on the SMU side, I'm kind of finished uh, with them, you know, unless something notable happens. Uh, on the TCU side, like I said, uh, Bailey for sure is a player that, uh, again, uh, you know, I think he's going to be a hot player on the wire this week if he is available. Uh, and this weekend, you're looking for what he's been doing to continue. I mean, I'd expect 20 carries. I expect 100 yards. I expect him to find the end zone at least once in this game. 
so I expect them to have a pretty good game. Uh, there isn't really anybody else on the TCU side, really, that I'm that interested in. Again, I'm pretty much you're you're done with SMU. I'm still holding out hope that somebody starts to break out here. But like looking at their target dis- distribution so far, they have let's see one, two, three, four, five, six different receivers who have between eleven and fifteen targets so far this year. They're spreading the ball around a ton, and it just nobody's breaking from the pack there. Maybe maybe Jake Bailey because he leads the team in targets right now at fifteen, but like. I'm not holding my breath at this point. And then the TCU side, I'm kind of still waiting on a breakout wide receiver there as well. Like, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, given what we've seen with Quentin Johnson, obviously Quentin Johnson's his own talent there, obviously a first-round pick in the NFL and everything, but, like, still kind of hoping that maybe somebody like uh, John Paul Richardson or Jalen Robinson, Warren Thompson, Savion Williams, anybody would just kind of step up and become a clear guy there because the both of these teams are going to be in shootouts a ton this year. I mean, TCU, good lord, their defense is absolutely atrocious. Don't buy too much into that Houston score this past week. That has way more to do with Houston having some offensive issues than TCU's defense get somehow getting fixed between now and week one. So again, I'm just really hoping that somebody kind of steps up there. Somebody can because again, this is where some of that late season waiver wire value could be coming from later down the line so i definitely have my eye on both of these teams if somebody emerges here let's go ahead and move on to the next game again not a not a super high scoring game but man this is what a lot of people thought was going to be a acc championship preview and now we got clemson completely unranked at this point in the season got number four florida state at clemson fsu the two and a half point favorite over under of 55 here I want to see, has Clemson actually fixed what's going on with their offense? Has are, Have they improved since week one? Because that was legitimately hard to watch against Duke on week one. Then they had two cupcakes in a row. You know, obviously they struggled against Charleston Southern, came back and whooped them completely in the second half there. But still a little bit concerning. They played FAU last week. It's FAU. They were going to outmatch them anyway. We have no clue. Like, we have no good barometer to see if Clemson's actually made any improvements from week one. And this is going to be the game that's going to show it, obviously. Again, in Florida State, top four team here. They're Shoot, Clemson's not far behind them. Again, FSU's only favored by two and a half points here. Vegas clearly thinks that, you know, Clemson has the pieces to put together a strong performance here in this game. That's kind of the main thing I have my eye on. Justin, what are your thoughts? What do you have your eye on here? Yeah, well, we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit later uh, in the sit-start discussion. <clears throat> but Keon Coleman uh, for Florida State had... An absolute dud last weekend against Boston College. Now that was a weird game script, and again, we'll get into this in more detail on the start sit discussion. Uh, but he had a great game week one in the big game, sort of similar sort of ingredients uh, in place uh, this week with another big game coming up. Clemson obviously unranked, but they're they're a big program, and this is this is a big opportunity for them to really get back into sort of the relevancy discussion this year. So they'll be up for this game. Uh, so I really want to see uh, Keon Coleman. Uh, sort of what happened last week. I mean, I'm looking for a bounce back performance this week from him uh, because basically since week one, he's been kind of not uh, not great. I mean, that week two matchup, it was a blowout versus Southern Miss, so I didn't put too much stock into that. 
But week three versus Boston College, I mean, that turned into a pretty close game at the end. Uh, he basically, I looked, I had to check to make sure he played stat line. He, he was nothing. Was zero receptions, one rush for a couple of yards. So I'm looking for a big bounce back game here just to sort of confirm, is he really, like, is he what we thought he was from that week one performance? I suspect he is, but uh, this would be a game where you're expecting him to show up in a big way. Uh, and then I'd mirror your thoughts as well regarding Clemson. I mean, who knows with them, you know, it's again, new coaching staff, at least it's new OC and, and, you know, the OC we know is pretty good from his time at TCU, but thus far they haven't really looked special. Uh, and, you know, week one wasn't good. The next couple of weeks, it's impossible to tell because the, the competition was, was very low. Uh, so this is another good sort of barometer to see where Clemson's at. And this is basically the biggest, the make or break game for their season. They have to win this game if they want to get back in the college football playoff discussion at all, top 10 discussion. This is a must win for them. Yeah, for sure. I think that pretty much covers everything I would take out of this game. Again, this this will be a fun one. This is a great way to start off the day. Like again, this this game's at noon. SMU TCU's at noon. Like I said, we're getting absolutely, absolutely spoiled on Saturday. But let's move over to the 3.30 slot where we have Pac-12 action? What is this? What are what are these Pac-12 <laughs> times for Colorado recently? They had a, the noon start on week one, and then now they're sitting here at 3.30 uh, on ABC. Going up against Oregon, we got a top 25 matchup here. Oregon favored by 21 points, the over-under 70 one, but as we've seen the last couple of weeks, as Colorado fans and Dion fans love to tell you, do not count them out. You must believe in the buffs. I would not be surprised at all if Colorado covered the 21 points here. I think that they are just that kind of team where they're scrappy. They're going to fight to the last minute. Shador Sanders, so far this year, give him credit. He's got that clutch gene, at least through the first three games of the season. He has started off kind of poor at times for Colorado, but man, that third, fourth quarter comes around. He kind of puts things together. He makes the big plays. I wouldn't be shocked that the same thing happens again here against Oregon. That's kind of what I'm looking for. This, this to me, is, is really the quintessential is Shador matchup proof moving forward. I, again, obviously Vegas thinks that Colorado is going to put some points up here regardless. But again, Oregon has some really, really good pieces on defense. If that offensive line fails, does that completely shatter the upside of Shador on a week-by-week basis? And suddenly you have to be a little bit more careful about what you do with him in your starting lineup versus like right now, like if you played Shador the last three weeks, like you're thinking, oh, I'm going to start him every single week because he's basically scored me 28 plus fantasy points every single week. That's kind of what I have my I have my eye on here. Other thing I have my eye on here, can Colorado stop the drag rats? <laughs> but no, that, 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 that was a pitiful, pitiful joke. Anyway, Justin, um, what are you looking for in this game, man? Yeah, no, I mean, actually, I'm right there with you. Can they stop the, the drag route within one week? If they can't, look for somebody like Troy Franklin to potentially have, like, 10 catches. Basically, you know, a stat line like Tory Horton last weekend uh, could be a really good thing uh, for a player like that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on most of what you said. I mean, I think this is a really great sort of barometer of what Colorado is this year. I mean, you know, nobody really knew what to expect going into the season. Now they're 3-0. Uh, they've surpassed expectations. I didn't expect them to be 3-0 at this point. Uh, 
but certainly this is, you know, a, a reckoning coming up. I mean, Oregon's a good team. They have, you know, a lot of really good players. And so if Colorado can hold their own, I'm not looking for them to win this game, but yeah, I mean, maybe if, maybe, you know, maybe they'll win this game, that'd be a miracle, but if they can hold their own at least, and it's a competitive game, uh, that would be sort of the indicator to me, like, okay, this is a, a very strong, a fairly strong team uh, and it's players in particular, like Shadir Sanders, as you were mentioning, are probably, you know, somewhat matchup proof. Like you might not have to worry that much about the upcoming PAC 12 schedule, uh, and, you know, saving them for only sort of, you know, the weaker opponents of the conference, probably you can just play them against, you know, USC, Washington, you know, whoever else that they might play. Uh, so for that, you know, I, I do kind of want to see, this is a good true test in terms of what Colorado is, how strong can they be? On the Oregon side, I mean, they've just been, I don't know what, who pissed Dan Lanning off this season. He just, he's been <laughs> absolutely obliterating every team that they've played first three weeks. And I think I understand the logic a little bit. I mean, you know, they're sort of on the outside of the top 10. I think they understand that they need to make a splash every week and, and they should handle business uh, to, you know, the utmost as far as they can go, right? They might as well put as many points on the board and just sort of show that to the committee. So I think I understand it from that point of view. Uh, so I suspect they'll be trying to do something like that this week. Uh, following that logic, they'll know this is a really, this is going to be a highly viewed game. Uh, so I think both teams, this is going to be great for fantasy. Both teams are going to be, want to go extremely fast and put a lot of points on the board. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be the usual suspects in this game. I think, you know, Shadir, Weaver, uh, Jimmy Horn on the Colorado side should be pretty productive in this game. At, at the very least, I mean, they should be trailing most of the game. So they should be throwing the ball a lot. Uh, on the Oregon side, you know, obviously Bo Nix, uh, he's, he's, he's a, he's a must-start. Uh, Troy Franklin, he's another one. I mean, he's a wide receiver one and CFF candidate at this point. Uh, he's been doing really well. Uh, so those would be the two guys from Oregon that I'd say are must-starts in this game. Oh, I want to look up real quick something for Oregon, but I'm going to put my shot out there. And again, this is quote-unquote my shot because it's not like a super hot take, but like I think this game sets up for Bo Nix to be the QB1 for CFF this weekend. I mean, we've seen him already per perform well against, you know, the teams that, you know, him and the entire team have just obliterated the last couple of weeks. But, like, you know, he gets pulled early in every single one of those, those yeah. games. He's going up against a team in Colorado where their defense is pretty dang awful. And they're going to probably still put up the absurd amount of points that they have the last couple of weeks. Maybe not, you know, the, what did they hit? Like almost 80 against one. They hit 80 against one of their opponents. I don't think they're going to do that against Colorado. But like, you know, they're going to put up plenty of points there. And they're going to have a team that's going to score on them. So they're going to it's going to force them to probably play Bo Nix all 60 minutes here for the most part. I mean, again, like what, what, what more could you ask for in an equation to lead to somebody having an absolutely incredible performance for CFF this past weekend? You mentioned Troy Franklin. Tez Johnson has started kind of making some moves. We kind of talked about him during the offseason. Again, this Bo Nix is an adopted brother. You know, there is, again, we, you know, I almost said necromancy, but nepotism in college fantasy is something to be um, something to pay attention to. And again, clearly, Tess Johnson through the first couple of weeks, 16 targets, you know, 155 yards, three touchdowns. Like, there's a somewhat of a connection there. Obviously, he's not Troy Franklin, who's, you know, 25 targets, almost 300 yards already. But when they get down near the end zone, you know, Bo Nick seems to be looking for his brother. So 
probably somebody else that, you know, if you're looking for somebody to kind of throw into your flex spot this weekend, who's probably pretty widely available out there, that's probably somebody I would take a look at there. Anyway. Let's, Real quick, oh, another player. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Jared, but no, yeah, another good. player on the on the Colorado side. I assume Travis Hunter's gonna miss this weekend, though I don't know that for a fact. Uh, Michael Harrison, the sort of slash wide receiver tight end for them, yes, sir, uh, had a really good game last weekend. Basically, after Hunter had left, he started to see an uptick in targets. He finished like seven either targets or receptions. I can't remember, but he definitely had a couple of scores. He finished above the twenty points. Uh, in most of the leagues I'm in, it's like he only has primary position eligibility so he's only eligible as a wide receiver but for most of you out there listening i suspect he's probably tight end eligible in your league Very he's cool. an interesting player if you need a tight end this weekend and you want to take a chance on a high upside guy he's a guy you might want to prioritize on the wire no i think that's a great call right there all right let's move on to the next game stick it in the 330 slot let's go over to cbs where they have old miss versus alabama alabama the seven point favorite here over under 56 once again you know not super high fantasy scoring here both teams expected to put up about like you know low 20 or yeah low 20s to low 30s in terms of their pointage so it's not like you know an absolute fantasy shootout here but I think the questions are obvious here, Justin, and that is, you know, what's going on with Alabama? We get Jalen Milrow back as the starting quarterback. Whatever conspiracy theory you have or I have as to what happened this past weekend at South Florida, why Milrow wasn't playing. There's some people like Josh Pate who's saying that he was suspended, which I don't know where that came from. I've heard that from literally nobody else. But I think the more believable one is that Saban was either trying to prove a point to either himself, either to his offensive coordinator, either to the fans, either to the team, somebody, somebody needed a point proven to them that Buckner and Simpson were not going to be the magic answer for this team. And then we got that clear, clear answer this past week in the struggliest of all struggle wins for Alabama this past weekend here. Now they come off that quite frankly, abysmal performance and they get Ole Miss coming to town. And Ole Miss has looked really good so far this season. Again, Jackson Dart, he's starting, he's he's kind of an under, I'd I, I say underrated because he's, you know, he's probably still available in half the leagues out there, but he's probably a quarterback that people, you know, haven't really been paying enough attention to. He's got, he's he's already outproducing his rushing touchdown total from last year. They're letting They're letting him use his legs more. It could be for a really interesting matchup here if Alabama, again, still hasn't had anything figured out. Or do we get, you know, the typical Nick Saban special where they struggle one week and then the very next week you got a ranked team coming to town. Boom, let's beat them 42 to 14 or something like that. That's I think could happen this past weekend, but I don't know. Justin, what's your read on this game and what are you looking for? Yeah, yeah. I mean... I don't know either in terms of what to suspect or what to expect from Alabama, what what kind of team is about to show up here. Uh, you know, maybe there's a big bounce back performance after sort of underperforming last week. Uh, I agree with you on your your take of the QB situation there. I mean, it it, it definitely seemed like the point was made pretty clearly. Uh, you know, they're playing Milrow. He's not perfect, but he seems to be the guy that gives them the best chance of winning. Uh, I hope he has a good week this week. I have him in one of my leagues that I just picked up off of a wire uh, addition. Uh, and likewise, Jackson Dart, I have him in another league. So ideally, I would like for this game to be pretty back and forth, lots of points. That would be great. Uh, I know Quinchon Judkins has been dealing with sort of a lingering injury, at mm-hmm. least for one week, maybe two weeks. Uh, he's been okay. Like, he's been pretty solid so far. Um, you know, he's he's he's, um, he's been productive. 
but I think that injury, lingering injury, has probably been hampering sort of his usage. So I, I would want to see what they do with him in this game. Uh, I haven't seen any update on him. Uh, but as you said, you know, Dart also sort of is kind of selfish in and around the red zone. So that, that is kind of a, a I don't want to say red flag, but it's something to consider with Quinchon Judkins. Uh, although I would say, he's, you know, you, you got to start him this week. I'm pretty sure when they played Alabama last year, he had a pretty good game against them. Okay, I know Alabama's defense... I know Alabama's defense is very good, uh, but, you know, their offense isn't great. And so it means that their defense is on the field quite a bit. And uh, usually in the second half, you know, guys get tired, holes open up. Uh, so I'm looking to really see, uh, this is not so much CFF specific, but sort of Alabama really just, I want to get a little bit more information on like what kind of team this is. Uh, I wonder if they're just going to embrace what they are and go sort of full you know, run heavy uh, and potentially, you know, 20 carries for Jace McClellan, 20 carries for Rydell, something like that, you know, just go extremely run heavy. And, and Honestly, they should. Like, yeah, I mean, something almost like Lance Leipold at UB a few years ago where you just have a lot of carries and you try to just mash people up front. I don't know if they have the offensive line for that, though, which is a really strange. It feels weird saying that out loud, but their offensive line has not been great. It has been great against the pass or against the pass rush. That's kind of been the really big thing is that they've been allowing sacks. They have been giving, they've been, um, their, um, freshman tackle Proctor has just been completely whiffing on assignments. Now, again, he's a freshman. He's going to, you know, do stuff like that. But at the same time, like that's kind of been the main knock on them. Like, yeah, running the ball could be better, but like, you know, it's still pretty serviceable. And if Alabama commits to that, I have no doubt that they'll be able to do that much better than if you're trying to protect Jalen Milrow back there. But again, that who knows? Maybe let's let him pass a little bit more and let's see some scramble yardage out of Jalen Milrow. Actually let him run the ball a little bit. Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to keep it balanced. I mean, obviously he's going to have to pass it at some point. But I mean, if I was the OC, I mean, who, who cares what I think? Obviously, I'm not, you know, coach or anything. But just from the eye test, you know, in terms of what the strength of this team is, you're struggling a little, a little bit at quarterback. You have better players basically at every position than most of the teams you play. You know, maybe lean on that and just try to be more physical and just run the ball and keep it simple. You know, that was sort of the formula they used 10, 15 years ago when they had quarterbacks like Jalen Milrow, uh, who weren't great passers, but, you know, they could run, pick up first downs when he needed. True. Maybe that's the formula they go with this year because I don't know what else they really have at this point. I mean, I like Isaiah Bond, their wide receiver, and he's kind of been their most targeted guy uh, lately. Um, you can confirm that, but I'm pretty sure at least in the last game he was. Uh, and so of the wide receivers, I think he's been like the most productive. Um, so, you know, I'm, he's a guy that maybe is intriguing. Like if they can figure out the passing uh, attack later on down the line, maybe he's a guy that gets on the radar. But as of now, there isn't really any wide receiver or tight end from Alabama that I'd want to take a chance on. With Ole Miss, I think it's a question of how healthy is that room? It's a lot of guys that are injured. Trey Harris is injured. Corey Franklin's injured. I, I got mm-hmm. I saw an update today that he's practicing, so he might play. Uh, I like um, Jordan Watkins. Uh, he's been productive actually quietly for the yep. first three weeks. Uh, he's a guy that if you need wide receiver this week, by the way, um, you know he's you know worth a shot depending on how deep your league is. I and mean, he's been pretty productive for three straight weeks. And if those other two guys are out, this could be a big game for him. So uh, that's that's one thing I would mention. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the Alabama receiving room. You're right. Bond is the most targeted player so far this year. Because I think he fits Milrow's skill set. Because Milrow, for all his passing faults that people like, you know, the short passing games is 
atrocious because he doesn't know how to you know lightly toss a ball um his deep passing is pretty incredible and like isaiah bond is one of these speedsters that we've seen for alabama work really really well in the past so i think that's part of the reason why he's seen so many targets because typically when you're throwing down the field you go for speedy guys like bond and like again people knock burton a lot and everything but one of the things that you know makes burton special and made burton special come out of high school was that he is a pretty big receiver that is also really really fast You've seen you've seen Bilro already hit him for a deep shot in the Texas game, so wouldn't be surprised if both of those guys still continue to have some pretty explosive games here and there. But you know, for the most part, I wouldn't suggest you know going after them for volume's sake. Um, speaking of receivers, man, I just realized like Jaquari Brooks is zero catches this year. That is crazy. What a fall from grace. Yeah, he, he's been MIA. Yeah, I don't know what to make of him. But uh, yeah, you mentioned Isaiah Bond. He is a stud. If they ever figure out the QB situation there, he'll be probably a prolific player, even in CFF. Uh, I, you know, I wish Georgia recruited him harder. He went to Buford, probably wouldn't have committed. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's been a, he's 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 a really good really good player, really intriguing player. But uh, yeah, All right. Let's touch on our last game here. We're going long on these, but again, so much fun to talk about some of these games. We got Ohio State Notre Dame, a top ten matchup here between the two of these over under 55 ohio state favored by three points we saw this game last year again we saw ohio state only put up about 21 points notre dame puts up about 10 i would expect somewhat of a similar game i i what i mean by that is i don't think we're going to see ohio state put up you know their normal 45 50 points against notre dame but here's the again the thing that changed since last year is that Notre Dame looks way way better on offense this year just from the eye test than they ever did at any point last year. Sam Hartman really has been a I don't want to say a revelation because like we we all knew that it was probably going to be something that he would improve the passing attack over there, but they just look like they're clicking better on offense just overall. How does Ohio State respond to that this early on in the season? Maybe Notre Dame goes up against a defense like Ohio State's. Maybe we find out really what this Notre Dame offense is made of as well. Because quite frankly, the teams that Notre Dame have played so far, they're just kind of beating up on lesser competition for the most part. So again, eye test tells me that Notre Dame's going to put up some points this Saturday on Ohio State. Ohio State, if Kyle McCord has a bad game, could really, really be in trouble very quickly here. Because I think Notre Dame, like I said, will find the end zone several times here. But again, this is just a perfect little bellwether test for pretty much every aspect of both of these teams how good is ohio state's offense and defense how good is notre dame's offense and defense they're going up against the best of the best here pretty much as as early as we can get that here in the season i'm just interested overall in how every aspect of these teams perform on saturday it's kind of a vague answer not really specific but again it's the truth i'm just this is probably the game that i'm most excited about this weekend because it tells me a lot about these teams. Justin, your thoughts, man. Yeah, I'm excited about this game too. Uh, there's a lot of interesting names. You know, we're at the point in the season now where some of these stats, you know, you look at like Ohio State's defense and it suggests that it's really good, but you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's like, well, they've played Youngstown State last week and before that they played, can't even remember, but it was, it was not a good team. Indiana. Well, they played Indiana week one. Uh, but in week two, I can't remember who they played. Youngstown was week two. Western Kentucky was week three. Ah, there we go. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so week two and week three were, you know, not really uh, sort of comparable competition. 
And so we're at the point in the season now where you might hear like on Twitter or analysts say, you know, such and such team has a good defense and they're basing it off of like the defensive numbers, but you really can't trust these numbers, right? So Ohio State's ranking on defense uh, is pretty good as it stands, uh, but it's not really uh, something I'd put too much stock into at the moment in terms of, you know, whether you'd want to start some of these Notre Dame players this weekend. Uh, it is something I was wrestling with, you know, estimate, do you, you know, do you want to start him this week? It kind of depends on who else you have. Um, Sam Hartman, he'd be another one. It's like, this is a really good test to see, okay, how good is he really? And do you feel comfortable starting him this weekend? Yeah, we'll definitely I think get it. Be. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we will. No, no, yeah, it's all good. Uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be a close game. I don't see one team toppling, you know, just absolutely destroying the other. I, I am sort of uh, curious to see, yeah, how many points can he scored here? This might be sort of a slugfest almost. Um, you know, certainly I think Notre Dame is going to want to control the clock. And I think that's going to mean that that'll mean that they're going to rely on estimate a lot. Uh, I hope so. I have a share of his. Um, on the Ohio State side, you know, this will be a really good test because uh, I'm not really convinced about their passing offense, as weird as that might sound. They didn't look good week one. Granted, it was week one. You know, they're working in a new QB, and that comes with a lot of growing pains. Week two, you know, Youngstown State, whatever, uh, just discard that. Week three, they played Western Kentucky, a little bit better competition, uh, but still not a great test in terms of, like, what are they really, you know, like, what could we expect from them in Big Ten play? which is the bulk of their schedule. So I want to see them be successful here. Uh, you know, I know Marvin Harrison's great. So he's, there's no questions there. Uh, the, the QB though, I need to see what he can do in this game. I'd like to see Ibuka see some more targets. I'm not a shareholder of his, but if I was, I mean, he had like four targets last weekend, four targets week one. Uh, it's time for those target numbers to, to start bumping up um, because I don't care how good you are. You know, if you're only getting four opportunities a game, you're not going to be consistently productive. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd like to see that shake out. And then the running back room as well for Ohio State. I'm kind of done with that room. Uh, I'm not a shareholder of Travion Henderson for a reason, uh, although he's been productive you know, the past couple of weeks. But again, the competition they've been playing, that's what you'd expect. If he wasn't, you know, that's just a massive red flag. So this is a game where, okay, if Travion is that guy, this should be the game where you see him really assert himself and you know lead that backfield and be successful. So I'm with you. There are, you know, quite a few question marks. This would be a really intriguing matchup. Yeah, for sure. Sorry. I I, I thought you were going to say more there for a second. Anyway. Um, yeah, again, like I said at the top of the show, we're absolutely spoiled this weekend. Um, but yeah, enough, 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 oh my goodness, just complete brain fart there. Jeez Louise. Anyway, enough of these game breakdowns. Let's go and talk about some of these sit and start scenarios that all of our good friends over on Twitter and YouTube comments have sent to us this past week. And without further, oh, nope, got to give you guys an update real quick on the competition. Uh, just real quick. Last week, Justin, you notched your first win over me uh, due to the fact that you picked Garrett Schrader and I picked Shavon Cordero in one of the QB questions last week, and that pretty much bolstered you to a sizable win this week. You had 220 points on the weekend. I had 188, and that brings us to an overall total of myself with 546 points on the year and you at 522 so you're only 24 points behind me you have cut your deficit in half here good sir so well done there and by the way everybody we have our 
prize for the end of the year in terms of what happens with who wins this competition. Basically, what's going to happen is if I win, I get to write a parody version of one of Justin's Volume Pig articles. And then if he wins, he gets to produce a episode a parody episode of ct and that will air sometime during the off season so y'all y'all root for whoever you want there in terms of what could possibly happen with either one of those options anyway let's get into these sit starts let's go ahead and start hit these quarterback questions here this first one comes to us from mr jack c and he is asking between three quarterbacks to start Two here, Justin. He is asking between Cam Ward versus Oregon State, DJU versus Washington State. So a little action between two quarterbacks in the Pac-2 title there. And then also Austin Reed versus Troy. So I'll throw it over to you, Justin, first. Who are you starting amongst these three? Yeah, uh, for this one, for me, I, I think it's pretty... Uh, I, I didn't really go back and forth too much. Uh, Cameron Ward has been, you know, consistently really great this season. Uh, Austin Reed's also been pretty good. Obviously, you know, it was sort of a tough game last weekend against OSU. Uh, you know, Troy at the G5 level is kind of known as sort of a good defense. Uh, you can confirm this, though. I, I don't know this, you know, for sure that they have a good defense this year. Uh, but in general, historically, they've been a pretty good defense. Uh, you know, Oregon State, I think that's actually a really good matchup for Cameron Ward. I definitely wouldn't start DJU. Uh, he hasn't really been good since week one. He had a good week one game, but then since then, uh, he hasn't been very good. Uh, so, yeah, who I'm starting is Cameron Ward and Austin Reed. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat here. I'm not going to, again, we're, we're going a little long, so I'm going to keep some of my answers here short today. Pretty much for the same reason as you. Um, I think that... It's. I think Reed is the definite start here. Again, yes, Troy is better on defense than most G five perform. G five teams are going to be throughout the year, but we've seen that when Reed is playing, you know, G five competition, no matter how good the defense is, he seems pretty matchup proof in that scenario. Now, am I starting him expecting the potential of a 40, 50 point week here? Probably not. Like you're probably looking at a very safe 30, 32 fantasy points from, or worst case scenario, probably 25 fantasy points from Austin Reed. You're not going to hate yourself for starting him. I would absolutely start him. High floor, low ceiling, or lower ceiling for Reed this week. But, you know, still more than enough than what you want. And then I'm still going to hang out with Cam Ward over here again. He's been phenomenal for the season so far. And, Again, I, I'm I'm kind of with you, Justin, that DJU, it really, his value, a lot of it boils down to can he get those rushing touchdowns. And overall, this game's going to probably be a bit more low scoring. And I trust the Washington State offense to, um, I excuse me, I trust the Washington State offense to potentially overwhelm the Oregon State defense, even though Oregon State's defense has been pretty solid so far this year. Alrighty, let's go ahead and move on to our next question here. This one comes to us from Jodak. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. It might be J Hodak on Twitter here. This one is between Bo Nix going up against Colorado this weekend. Oh, by the way, I, you know what? 
Justin, you failed your job because you forgot to remind me oh, to the model. Yeah. To, to talk about the model. Anyway, the last question there, Cam Ward. Um, it, it the model disagrees with us on Austin Reed. It has Austin Reed scoring twenty point nine eight fantasy points this weekend. Again, I think that's probably evaluating the Ohio State performance last week just a little bit too much there. But you know, it's a computer. We're human beings. We're smarter than it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. um, and it has it very close between DJU and Cam Ward. It has DJU at 24.75 and Ward at 24.17. I think that it likes DJU's dual threat ability if this game were to kind of get out of hand a little bit there. So I think that's why it has him just slightly above Ward. But I think all three of these guys are relatively close to where it doesn't really matter that much. I'm still riding with Reed and Ward, and I think you are too. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question again. Back to Jay Hodak's question here. Bo Nix going up against Colorado this weekend or Preston Stone versus TCU. I'm keeping my answer short and sweet. I've already said that Bo Nix is set up to be potentially the CFF number one quarterback for this weekend. Preston Stone set up for a really good weekend as well. Don't get me wrong. That TCU defense, again, he looked, it's looked pretty atrocious so far for the most part. But again, Bo Nix, more dual threat ability, worse defense, going to be forced to score, just so much more going for him than Stone. I got to ride with that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, it's basically the perfect recipe for Bo Nix this week. He has has every single reason to succeed. It's not a guarantee. Obviously, we see strange things happen in CFF all the time. But as far as what we can sort of base an argument around, yeah, I mean, for this one, one, I think it's a no-brainer. I think you got to go Bo Nix. Yeah, I'm not not that it was an easy question, Jay Hodak, but again, like there really isn't that much more to say there. I think I think start Bo Nix with confidence. Let's go ahead and move on to our next running back question, or our first running back question, really. This one comes to us from Santi on Twitter. Santi, Santi, I got to learn how to pronounce y'all's name sometimes. Oh, by the way, the model, the model, completely forgot about the model again. Oh, sorry. It, I, I keep forgetting too. Yeah. It is, uh, Bo, it, it has Bo Nix by a bit. It is Bo Nix 33.6 fantasy points. I believe that's the number four overall player for this upcoming weekend. And it has Preston Stone down at 24.64. I can see Stone outproducing out 24.64 fantasy points there. But again, I completely agree with it on Bonix, and I assume you do too, Justin. Absolutely, yeah. Back to running backs here. Back to Santi's question. Quinshawn Judkins going up against Alabama. You kind of touched on him earlier, Justin. We also got Audric Estime going up against Notre Dame. And then we got Marcus Carroll running back out of Georgia State going up against Coastal Carolina here. Pick one out of these three, Justin. Who are you rolling with? This one's crazy. I mean, this one is a really good question. All three, I think, are pretty good. Uh, Carol's looked terrific, uh, both, you know, basically all three weeks. Uh, Estime has as well, although his, his carry volume, you know, up until last week was you know, a little bit lower on the lower end. Uh, QJ, as I said, I believe is dealing with some kind of injury. Uh, so that is something to monitor, but he has been playing and he has been producing. And I think he's in a good game script here. Like, I think that game's going to be close, and I think they're going to both score on each other quite a bit. Uh, Estime is in a similar game script, uh, another big game and against, you know, an opponent that's probably better than them, but they should still be able to move the ball. Uh, and then Marcus Carroll versus Coastal Carolina. I mean, Carroll's been money every week so far. He sees a lot of volume. There isn't really another running back there who gets anywhere close to his carries. 
which is something I, I really like, uh, the uncontested volume pig, if you will. Uh, he's not, you know, there's really no worry about someone else stealing uh, a rushing touch. Well, I say that, I mean, the quarterback in, in, in essence is kind of his main competitor uh, mm -hmm. for rushing touches, Darren Granger. He scores quite a few rushing touchdowns as well. That whole offense really, because they have Robert Lewis as well. I, like that whole offense seems to get theirs every game. I'm not sure how it's possible. As far as picking one player, you know, I think the margins here are so small. Like this is a very difficult question. It's almost to the point where I think like I could overanalyze this and maybe you're just better off flipping a coin. For me, I'm just going to pick Marcus Carroll based on the matchup. Uh, I like, you know, I, I like Georgia State in that matchup. I, I don't really know, you know, if they're worse than Coastal Carolina, but I, I do feel that Ole Miss is not as talented as Alabama and Notre Dame is not as talented as Ohio State. From that standpoint, you know, Georgia State should be able to push Coastal Carolina around a little bit more, but I really don't think there's a wrong answer here. I think all three are very intriguing, and I'd play any three of these. I'd start any three of these uh, and not think twice about it, really. I am going to go out here and say that Judkins is the clear third place for me, not because I doubt his talent or anything like that. Obviously, I touted him as the RB1 for fantasy this year. I think he's going to have some incredible weeks throughout the season. But again, if you're trying to minimize risk here, you got three good options. The injury thing is kind of enough to kind of put him down there. A resurgent Bama defense that maybe plays out of their mind this weekend, trying to make, trying to prove a point after the absolute dud that the entire team had last week. Probably, if if I had the choice to shit, to sit just Judkins. <laughs> Oops. Um, if I had the choice to sit Judkins um, out of these three, I'm gonna do it. And then it's boring for the listeners, but I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna stick here with Carroll as well. I think that of the three defenses here that we're going up against, the one that we're probably overestimating in terms of how good they possibly could be, the most likely one is Coastal Carolina. Again, we've seen Coastal Carolina in a variety of situations. Their defense looks good, but I could see Marcus Carroll absolutely surprising them this weekend versus like Audric Estime. I think Ohio State knows what's coming there. I think he still has a really good performance because I, I, I am, I am going to start him this weekend in multiple leagues. But if you're giving me the choice between Carroll and Estime, I'm going to roll with Carroll. So I'll sit Estime. As for what the model says, the model agrees with me in the fact that Judkins is in a clear third place. It has him at 14.13 fantasy points. And then a little bit closer between Estime and Carroll, but Carroll does lead with 22.66 fantasy points versus Estime's 19.21. This is where I and the model pretty much completely agree. I think that's a, a, a very fair projection on all three of those guys there. Is that pretty much how you see it, Justin? Yeah, one quick comment there regarding Judkins. So normally I'm, I'm right there with you regarding like injured players. If there is any concern, I generally just discard them from the start-sit discussion for my own teams. However, in his case, he has been playing each week like he's and he's been productive. So for me, it's like, okay, you know, he's dealing maybe with something, but like he's still been pretty productive. Like, like if you have to play him, I, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, but I understand your point. I just wanted to clarify that. No, and I totally get that, but also at the same time, they've been playing the likes of Mercer and Georgia Tech. Fair enough. A little, yeah, a little yeah. bit different animal going up against the talented Alabama defense. Whether they're good or not, we'll find out, but talented they yeah. are. Yeah, that's fair.
Alrighty. Well, appreciate that, Santi, for that question. Let's go ahead and put our tokens back and then move on to our next question here. This is a start to question from Mr. Reseller Rick. This one comes to us from the YouTube comment section. And he is asking about starting two running backs out of Damian Martinez going up against Washington State, Amarian Hampton running back out of UNC going up against Pittsburgh this weekend, or Braylon Allen running back out of Purdue or running back out of Wisconsin going up against Purdue. I'm going to constantly mess up opponents and what team these players are on throughout the entire season, aren't I? Anyway, three running backs that have produced very well for this season. Again, it part of me kind of tried in my head to make this a tougher question because I think I'm going to start Damian Martinez, safe play. Touchdowns are a issue, obviously, because once they get down to the red zone, it seems like they take Martinez out. They want to get creative. They want to just like, ooh, ooh, ooh we got a, we got to run a fullback. Ooh, we got a dual threat running back. Ooh, dual threat wide receiver. I don't know. Whatever kind of crazy stuff they come up with, they just like to get super creative down near the red zone, and that's to Martinez's detriment. Even though I don't know why they don't just try to run him into the ground once you get down there. It's not like they're able to stop him, regardless. Regardless, hoping that Martinez can rip off a big one and score a touchdown in this game because Hampton, to me, is a clear third pick here, mostly due to the fact that, again, he's in a split backfield there at UNC. I'm still not sure how good this pit defense is right now. I could see this become a scenario where, you know, Hampton or, um, excuse me, British Brooks, you know, he's playing better. Hampton kind of gets put on the backseat here. That's probably the guy that I'm going to rely on the least. Although the same thing could happen with Braille now. We've seen Chesma Lucy kind of start games for Wisconsin. It takes a little while for Allen to get going sometimes. But regardless, if it's between the two guys here, I am going to roll with uh, I'm going to roll with the talent. I'm going to go with Braylon Allen out of those two guys and sit Mr. Amarian Hampton. Justin, where's your thought process at here, man? Yeah, I'm pretty similar to you, and I sympathize with Martinez shareholders. I, I don't have any shares of his, but uh, I did have quite a few running backs last year that were in sort of a similar predicament uh, that he's in, and it, it is a frustrating ordeal, right, to have a running back who is so involved in the game, is getting all the yards, and yet every week still finishes with sort of a subpar fantasy output. Uh, and as far as things that I'm confident in regarding him, I mean, I'm confident that he's going to get double-digit carries or at least double-digit touches. I'm pretty confident he's going to get to around 100 yards. He's done it three straight weeks. What I'm not confident in, in is whether he'll score. Uh, so you start him and you kind of think, well, the floor is probably still like 10 or 11 points, though, because he's going to get the carries. He might have a couple of receptions. He should get around 100 yards. So expect that you know if things don't go well. Maybe he finishes with 10, 11, maybe 12 points. If he you know, miraculously, if they just give him the ball and he gets a, a score in the red zone, all of a sudden you can get maybe 18, 20 out of him, right? So for him, it's like, it's not ideal. Uh, there's clearly, you know, sort of a problem there. But if we're choosing from these three options, he's a guy who's at least the sort of, there isn't, he's not splitting carries with somebody else. I mean, he's splitting red zone reps with DJU, but he's not splitting carries with another running back the way the other two are. The other two, I mean, Hampton... You know, he is splitting with Brooks, and he had that massive game a couple of weeks ago. But to be honest, I'd almost discard that game from the consideration because the conditions that made that game possible are not what we have. And 
you know, we won't have that unless somebody else goes down, well, unless Brooks gets injured again, basically. But he's not injured right now. They're going to split carries this weekend. Uh, and so for him, I'm, I sit Hampton uh, and play Allen, who is also in the timeshare. But, from you know, remarkably, he's still getting touchdowns. Like, he's still scoring quite a bit. He scored twice week one. He scored twice last week. Uh, he is definitely in a timeshare, which is not ideal. But he's in a good matchup. He seems to still be scoring at least. Uh, so if you have to choose between him or Hampton, that that being said, Hampton's actually scored quite a bit. Also, I have that's, to say, that, like, that's what I was two, just thinking. I'm like one. the one thing that's yeah. going to save Hampton here is that you know when they do get yeah. down there, Hampton's clearly the guy they hand the ball off to to get that those last couple of yards. Yeah, so there is a path there for Hampton because both of these guys, Allen and Hampton, seem to be you know, pretty touchdown heavy. They're, they're actually, it's kind of a funny question because they're like the opposite end of the spectrum that Martinez is. Martinez gets all the, the usage, all the yards, doesn't get the touchdowns. These two are kind of on the opposite end. But again, I think I'm going to roll with Allen, um, you know, just because I like the matchup. I think he's been scoring pretty well uh, these past couple of weeks, but the difference between him and Hampton, they're, they're in pretty similar positions. So I, I'm not really sure that one is going to score that much more than the other. It kind of comes down to how the ball bounces, uh, who scores more touchdowns this game. Well, let's see what the model has to say here, Justin. It actually has this extremely, extremely close. It has Amari and Hampton as the highest scorer here, barely with 20.26 fantasy points. It has Braylon Allen with 20.02 fantasy points. And then Damian Martinez with 19.13 fantasy points. So it's, again, super, super close. It's very much figuring in the touch or the red zone usage for both Braylon Allen and Hampton there. I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope that Martinez rips a long one and scores a touchdown from outside the red zone. And then you're extremely happy about that. So, all right, let's go ahead and move our tokens back and hit up our wide receiver questions. Let's go and talk about this question from Elena Grace. In a full PPR league, we need to start one of these wide receivers. We got Caleb Hood, wide receiver out of Georgia Southern, going up against Ball State. Or we could go Tavian Robinson, wide receiver out of Kentucky, going up against Vandy. Or we could go Ashton Hawkins, wide receiver out of Texas State going up against Nevada. Nice little matchup right there. Really nice matchup for all three of these guys here, Justin. But which way are you going with it? Yeah, I like this question. I think all of these players are fairly evenly matched. Uh, Hawkins kind of breaks my heart a little bit. I mean, I was very high on him sort of this offseason as like a mid-round guy that would have really good value at that range. He hasn't really cashed in on that. They've kind of spread the ball around a little bit more than probably if you drafted them you were hoping for. Uh, but this is an ideal matchup against Nevada. So, you know, we'll see what ha- happens. I mean, they scored a lot of points last week. Again, they spread it around, which is not ideal for the wide receiver position. But uh, they are scoring quite a bit. This is a good matchup. Uh, Tavion Robinson, you know, as you said, this is also a pretty good matchup. He's got, you know, a few other receivers that he's competing with there as well for touches. Marion Brown, uh, there's another, I can't remember his name, but there's, there's another you. sophomore there. There you go, yeah. So they've got like a good trio there. And, you know, uh, there's sort of no guarantee that Tavion's going to score. Uh, and, you know, he's sharing sort of targets with those other two. Caleb Hood, uh, he's the safest of the three, in my opinion. Uh, he's definitely, you know, 
he's wide receiver one B at best, I guess, you know, Burgess seems to just score all the, I, I can't really explain why it is, but that just seems to be the, the case. Uh, so I'm just going to say Caleb Hood is wide receiver two or wide receiver one B there, but he still sees a lot of targets and we're talking about a one PPR league here Yep. and they have a great matchup. So, you know, in terms of like risk aversion and just choosing a player that I know is going to see volume, he's going to get a lot of catches. I don't know that he's going to score, uh, but I do know he's going to have a decent game, you know, in terms of upside, is he the highest upside of the three? No, but if I had to choose of the three, I'm going to go with sort of the safest pick here. I'm going to roll with Caleb Hood. We got we got to stop doing this, Justin. We can't we can't go this entire episode and agree on every question, but like I have to. It, it this is this is a scenario where there's no way I'm not going to pick Hood here because I mean just look, listen listen to the setup we have here between the three guys here. One of these guys is averaging nine point six yards or nine point six targets per game, and is the second. Uh, the second wide receiver for targets on his team. The other one, or another one, is third in targets on their team, averaging five point five yard, averaging five point five targets per game. So four less targets per game than than the first guy. And then the third guy is first in targets on his team, although he's only averaging five point six yards per or targets per game. But he's fourth in receiving yards on his team. Like it's just no guarantee he's gonna have a good production there. So I gotta go with Hood here again. Like you said, this is a pass-heavy volume system. Both Hood and Burgess are gonna get fed. Yes, touchdowns are a concern there. Obviously, if you want touchdowns, Robinson's probably the best guy to go with there because they seem to like to target him down near the red zone for the most part. But in terms of just volume, in terms of just safety, there's nobody else to go with here except for Hood. Let's move our tokens back here. Appreciate that, Elena, for that question. And let's move on to another full PPR question. This is another scenario where we just got a whole list of studs here. We got to start two of them, though, Justin. We got Keon Coleman going up against Clemson this weekend. We got Ted McMillan. Wide receiver out of Arizona going up against Stanford. And then we got Emeka Egbuka, wide receiver out of Ohio State, going up against Notre Dame. Clear must start, in my opinion, here. By far, not even close, Ted McMillan. It's a, the matchup's great. His volume's been great. Ain't no reason why he cannot make your lineup at, at any point during this weekend. This is like the, much like Bo Nix in Colorado, this is like the perfect set up for him this upcoming weekend unless he gets hurt for the for the most part second option here gets a little bit tougher between these two here i love the talent between both of them it's not like i'm pick if it was just you know a a talented guy versus you know a guy who's performed so well well kind of so far this year it would make the decision a lot easier. But both of these guys are talented guys between Ebuka and Coleman. Both of them have shown they have the ability to just absolutely take over games. And then so my next thought process was, okay, two talented guys. Both have seen pretty good volume. What about the matchups here? Well, we kind of talked about it earlier. Again, take this with a grain of salt because both of these teams have been playing nobodies for the most part. But... Both Clemson and Notre Dame are top 10 in the nation when it comes to limiting passing yards from their opponents. So that tells me that both of them are relatively in tough matchups here. Although, again, I think both have the talent to overcome 
those good defenses. So it really kind of brings me back to this is almost just a gut call. I'm going to go with Emeka Egbuka. We saw him perform well against Notre Dame last year. Maybe he caught them off guard. I don't know. Maybe they're more prepared for him this year. I'm just going to trust the Ohio State passing game just a little bit more here out of these two guys. Coleman, obviously, is a, a little bit of a red, not a red flag. Again, you know, even the best receivers have some dud games every once in a while. But the fact is, like, Florida State needed that offense to get humming in the second half, and they still weren't getting it going with Coleman. I think Emeka Buka is probably the safer of the two here, and I'm going to roll with him over Coleman. So, Justin, I'm curious to hear your position on this one because you were kind of talking up Coleman a little bit earlier in the show, so I'm curious to see if that comes back here. This is a fantastic question, in my opinion. But one thing I'll get out of the way right away, and I agree, is McMillan's the obvious one that you have to start. Uh, so he's one you just plug right in. Uh, what is really interesting, though, in terms of discussion is Keon Coleman versus Emeka Egbuka, because in both cases, there are question marks. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they'll both be successful, but there are question marks. So Coleman, as I touched on earlier, really didn't like what I saw last week. Uh, again, like, I don't expect... There are very few players in CFF that have good games every week. Uh, you know, but what I found a little bit more disturbing was just his role in the game was fairly non-existent. The, the production isn't always there. That's understandable. But you should still see, like, targets and carries if, if a player is that guy for the team. Uh, he really didn't – he was targeted, like, twice, you know. And so maybe that's a case of, okay, BC very much keyed in on him. And that enabled, you know, Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, because both those guys had really big games. Perhaps that's what happened. Uh, that's just me speculating, though. Uh, in terms of Ibuka, I mentioned earlier, you know, his usage hasn't been what I would have expected it to be at this point in the season. I mean, four targets last weekend is not good, and mm-hmm. four targets week one is not good. Uh, he had a good game in between there. Uh, and maybe it's a case where you could say, well, they just didn't really need him. I mean... In basically all their games, they have been winning. Indiana was kind of a weird one, but they, they did win by quite a few points. And then these past two weeks, weeks you know, they're playing inferior competition. Yeah, they probably didn't need him. So this is a game where, you know, I'd expect his targets to go up. Uh, if Notre Dame is going to, you know, focus on defense on one player, it's probably going to be Marvin Harrison. So Ibuka should be a guy who benefits from that. I'm glad you went first, because to be honest, that, like, for me, this is like a coin flip between these two. Like, it really... I, I could analyze this for forever, but there, there really isn't anything. There's not enough to grab onto with, with one or the other for me to say definitively. I, I mean, if Coleman pops off and Egbuka doesn't, and I chose Coleman, it's really not my knowledge or intuition. It's literally that's just how the ball bounced. Uh, but because you chose Egbuka and it is a coin flip, I'm going to choose Coleman because we All have right. agreed on quite a few. Uh, and I think with Coleman, like I said, his biggest game in the season so far was in their biggest game against LSU. And we have a lot of the similar ingredients at play here. And one theory, and this is just me speculating, but maybe they didn't want to use him last week to sort of save him for this game, knowing that this is a big game coming up. I mean, they were they were in a pretty close game. So, I, you know, I'd be a little bit surprised if that was sort of the, their approach because it was getting pretty dicey there in the fourth quarter. But maybe that's what they were trying to do. And then hopefully then that means... They're going to unleash him this game. We'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, again, this is an excellent, excellent question by Lefty Tarkian, which I don't think I've ever actually mentioned that that is who put this question up here. Um, So Lefty Tarkian, well done here. This is a great discussion here. What does the model say? 
Model agrees with us that Tech McMillan is the best start out of these three. He's got him at 23.53 fantasy points. It agrees with me that Emeka Egbuka is the second best start at 20.33 fantasy points. It has Coleman down at 16.34 fantasy points, but I think that kind of bakes in, you know, the abysmal performance we saw last yeah. week, uh, maybe a little bit too much. And also, again, maybe Clemson's defense just isn't as good as we thought it's been the last couple of years. So maybe it's kind of thinking like, oh, Clemson's got a talented defense. It's going to limit limit Coleman. Maybe not as much this year. So, again, I, I would personally, if I was, you know, if I was a computer, I would probably spit out a number where it's like Emeka Egbuka's 20.33. I would have Coleman at like, 19.6 or something yeah. like that it'd be something super close all righty let's move on to some of these flex questions here and this one comes to us from mr elliot mays uh let's get the graphic going there there we go misclicked anyway this one comes to us from mr elliot mays he's got one running back and two wide receivers here in a half ppr league we need to start two of them he's got jaquindon jackson running back at utah going up against ucla He's got Pofale Ashlock, the wide receiver out of Hawaii, going up against New Mexico State. And he's got Derwin Burgess, wide receiver out of Georgia Southern, going up against Ball State. Justin, I have a feeling we're going to agree again on this one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's unfortunate, but maybe I'll surprise you. Uh, while in general for flex positions, I, I'd like to go running back if I have good running backs. Uh, in this case, though, uh, I don't really know what to make of the Utah backfield. It's been up and down. Uh, that you know their matchup, they're they're pretty evenly matched in that matchup. Ashlock has been consistently good all season. I mean, he hasn't always had a like a great game, but he's always had a good game uh, at, at least. I mean, even against Oregon last week, uh, if you're in the PPR league, I guess he had a good game. Yep. Uh, that those are leagues I play, and that's kind of what I'm based <laughs> basing it on. Uh, and Burgess has been great, uh, and there's actually nothing to dislike here with Burgess. I mean. Great matchup. He's been torching it all season. I would lock him in right away. Uh, and then Ashlock, again, I think he's pretty safe. And actually, this is a good matchup. New Mexico State, there's nothing really to fear there in terms of is one team going to overmatch the other? Uh, you know, Maybe one team pulls away, but I, you know, I'd say on the surface, both of those teams are pretty evenly matched. I don't really know what to make of Jaquin and Jackson there. I mean, one week, it looks like he's back to volume pick status. Uh, last week, it sort of went off the rails. They were playing Weber State, so who, who knows what to make of that, right? But yep. I don't really know what's going on there, and the other two I do, so those are the two I'd roll with. You promised to surprise me, Justin, and that did not happen. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to agree with you here 100%. I'm going with the wide receivers here. I agree. Again, half PPR to standard. I typically lean towards the running back here, but like Jaquin and Jackson's in prove it territory for me like i he i i'm not dropping him just because of that system and if he can finally kind of break away the staff trusts him again maybe we can start working with that but like until he does no way he enters my lineup in any league that i am in especially when i got two stud wide receivers here like again you're talking about two wide receivers that have performed extremely well so far this season, I don't have the numbers so far, but I know for a fact Pofele Ashlock is a top 20 wide receiver so far this year. And then Burgess has performed well as well. So, like, yeah, no way I'm I'm sitting those two in favor of Jaquin and Jackson, who is just all the question marks in the world right now. And the model completely agrees with us. It has Burgess at 21.96 fantasy points for this weekend. It has Pofele Ashlock 
at 19.41 fantasy points and then Jaquin and Jackson a good distance behind at 13.54 fantasy points I think that pretty much wraps up exactly what you and I were both thinking it's a pretty clear gulf now if this was a start one and I had to choose between Ashlock and Burgess that would have been a much tougher question in my opinion that would have been I would have been back and forth on that I'm curious Justin if you had to only start one between Burgess and Ashlock which one would you have gone with yeah, no, I agree. That's a really interesting discussion. For me, it'd almost be similar to the last one where it kind of probably come down to a coin flip. Uh, if I had to pick one, uh, I'd go Ashlock. He's been money. I, I have quite a few shares of him. I don't have any shares of Burgess, so I haven't followed him as closely. I know he's been doing really well, but yeah. I like Ashlock. I like that system. He's probably who I'd roll with. I would agree. I, I, w- I would keep it with the system there. Again, obviously, I think Burgess has probably more of the volume than Ashlock would probably have, but it's not... a grand canyon golf between either one of them i think it would be very very close i think either one could pop off for a ton of points next flex next flex question we have here is not appearing on the board whatsoever not sure what's going on with the graphic there anyway we'll just talk through this one um let's this one comes to us from large arge foosball um in a full ppr league he is asking us between wide receiver sam brown the wide receiver out of Houston, or running back C.J. Donaldson Jr. out of West Virginia. Brown's going up against Sam Houston this week. Donaldson's going up against Texas Tech this week. Again, it's a full PPR league. Um, Let's see. How do I want to break this down? I, I really don't trust Houston's offense right now. Donovan Smith yeah. was absolute fool's gold after his fourth quarter comeback against Rice made us kind of believe that, oh, you know, yeah, they're falling behind in the TCU game, but like, man, he's got that fourth quarter magic. It's going to be great for us and it just never, ever happened. We already kind of talked about the weeks before with Sam Brown. He hasn't gotten the touchdown yet. And with Donovan Smith under, like, under center like i don't trust that he's going to get a ton of touchdown opportunity right now even against sam houston although sam houston for a g5 opponent has a really really good defense so i'm not even yeah sure that houston's going to put up a ton of points in this game i think the over under on this game's like 38 something just absolutely abysmally low for over unders for the most part so like my judgment tells me like oh don't start a guy in a in a game like that um, especially when you got C.J. Donaldson over here going up against Texas Tech, they're 85th in scoring in rushing defense. Donaldson's gotten the volume the past couple of weeks that we wanted. A lot of people kind of freaked out during an FCS game that he didn't get a ton of run or anything like that, and they're like, "Oh, am I freaking out about Donaldson?" No, I wasn't freaking out about him at all. He went and had a hundred yard game this past week against Pitt. He is fine. I say all this, but against my better judgment, I think I'm still gonna crutch on my old thing of especially in a full ppr league if it's down between a wide receiver and a running back i'm gonna go with the wide receiver especially when the wide receiver is averaging over six receptions in game so far yes the scoring opportunities are a little rough i will not lie about that but honestly west virginia's offense ain't that much better so donaldson's got his own scoring opportunity issues over there in a full ppr league i will take somebody with the floor of six receptions and the production that kind of comes along with that, especially with Brown, you know, being the deeper threat receiver for Houston when they are willing to push it down the field. I think I'm going to lean towards Brown, but again, it doesn't feel great. 
Justin, your thoughts here, man. Yeah, I, uh, I I like this question because it is kind of interesting. So yeah, you mentioned the over under on that Sam Houston Houston game is like thirty eight. I would take the under on that. If you look at Sam Houston, they're a very unique team. They're averaging one point five points per game. Right, that's not uh, a typo. You can go look it up yourself. One point five points per game right now. So their defense is actually really, really, really good. Even though they're a G five team, their offense is horrendous. And then Houston, their offense is not good either, really. I mean, Donovan Smith, at least, is not good. Their wide receivers are still producing somehow, as you mentioned, Jared. But, like, Sam, Samuel Brown is still seeing the catches. He's getting yards. He's doing okay. And, and Matthew Golden also is doing well. Somehow, right? Yeah. The, the You know, the quarterback, Donovan Smith, is not doing well. But, you know, somehow the wide receivers are still producing. Uh, with regards to West Virginia, yeah, uh, C.J. Donaldson is seeing pretty good volume. Although something I'll note, and he, he saw 18 carries last week, uh, but it probably should have been a lot more. He left the game in the third quarter. I believe it was the end of the third quarter. He picked up some weird injury. He was jogging back and forth on the sidelines, but he didn't come back into the game, I believe. Uh, he had 18 carries at the know. point that it was the third quarter, and he didn't have any carries after that. I know because I was tra- I have CJ Johnson in one of my leagues, and I was sort of tracking that. He had 18 carries basically at the third quarter, and he didn't see any carries after that. So I don't know. He probably didn't come back into the game. Uh, I remember he was jogging on the sidelines. So that is something to keep in mind. And you might want to monitor that. Um, if it weren't for that, it would actually be pretty clear cut for me in terms of choosing CJ, just because well, he's the bell cow back for that team. I don't like Houston. I had a, I had a share of Donovan Smith and almost just out of spite, I don't want to touch anything now from that Houston team. Um, and they're playing against a really good defense. Like I think that game is going to be slow and low scoring. I just have a feeling that it's going to, that might be how it goes. Uh, and also just in the interest, in the spirit of competition, I think I'm going to go with the other guy that you didn't pick. So I'm going to pick CJ Donaldson here. Sounds good. Uh, as my sit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't blame you. And I was literally just looking back on along all the questions. I'm like, is this week really about to be decided between a Buka and Keon Coleman? <laughs> So now it's going to be decided between Sam Brown and CJ Donaldson as well. And let's see if we can, oh, wait, real quick. Got to gotta bring up that, got to bring up the model. What does the model say? Model agrees with me. Uh, it has Sam Brown going for 18.17 fantasy points against Sam Houston. It has CJ Donaldson going for 13.69 fantasy points. But again, I think it's kind of averaging in that FCS yeah. opponent, probably just a little bit too much there. I think it would, I think it's more fair to say probably 18.17 fantasy points versus like, I don't know, 16 and a half fantasy points for CJ Donaldson. Does that seem fair? Yeah, that seems fair. 100 and a touch. Yeah, but what is the protocol? Let's say CJ Donaldson doesn't play this weekend. How, how are we, how are we determining this? Um, if it's just between the two players, uh, I'm going to just call it void. I think that, okay. I think that's a fair way to, Fair way to do it. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, Good I would say no. That would definitely be risky. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. If 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 it's between between us both and one player just straight up doesn't play, then obviously I'm not going to count that against you because like you know you cool. just didn't know. Just like when you're sending these hit starts. All yeah, right. Cool. Let's see if we differ on this last one. We got one tight end question here. Very similar to kind of last week. Old guard versus the new guard. Unfortunately, <laughs> last week our old guard is out for the season now. Um, so let's hope that doesn't happen this week, please. For the love of God, we're already hurt enough at Georgia. Um, Brock Bowers, tight end out of Georgia, going up against Dallin Holker here, tight end out of Colorado. This one comes to us from Dylan on Twitter. 
Again, very much old guard, new guard in terms of preseason favorite, brand new breakout tight end. I Breakout tight end. I was on Holker all offseason. I'm going to pat myself on the back on that one. I was <laughs> all over this man. I own him in so many leagues. It is incredible. Anyway, between these two guys here, Bowers going up against UAB, Holker going up against Middle Tennessee, obviously two matchups there that are very favorable. Justin, which one are you going with, man? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I know you have a lot of shares of Holker, although I think in maybe one league you don't is in our not not league, Not in the Nate Dynasty League. That that one hurts yeah. a little bit because I'm really struggling in that league. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy to have him in that league given just the depth of how many teams there are. He's, uh, yeah, he's been doing really well the past couple of weeks. Uh, he's clearly you know heavy feature in that offense. Uh, and with him in Colorado State, unlike Georgia, they don't really have the luxury to be playing these games with their players. You know, with Brock Bowers, they, you know, when they don't need him, they're, they're not really going to use him. I don't blame them. I mean, it, you know, if they don't need him in this game, they shouldn't be using him. And as you mentioned, you know, injuries are piling up for every team at this point in the season. But Brock is a guy you really don't want to lose in a game where you didn't really need him to win. So I don't know you know, what to expect in terms of his usage versus UAB. You know, he's a player where maybe he gets taken out at halftime and you hope at that point if they've scored 28 points that he's been involved in like three touchdowns. And then, you know, that's a great day. Holger, on the other hand, it's like what he should be in full game. He's definitely a fixture in that offense. I know on the surface, it sounds weird, right, to say I'm going to pick Holker over Bowers. Bowers is clearly, you know, I mean, he's the old guard, as you mentioned. He's a better player, just raw skill-wise. But there is that question mark. It's like if this game gets ugly and, it, you know, it's expected to, uh, is he really going to be in the game? And then are they going to want to use him? And, and if I were the coaches, the answer would be no. Whereas to CSU, I mean, they don't really have a choice. They, they've got to use Holker. And this should be, you know, it should be a back and forth game between these two teams. So I'm going to roll with Holker on this one. Uh, hopefully we disagree. No, we're not going to. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm starting Holker over Bowers as well. Here's the thing. Bowers is hurt. That, again, like they, the coaching staff's kind of danced around it a little bit and everything. They're like, oh, he's a little banged up. No, he is hurt. There is a reason why he has not been exposed to the last couple of games. He is not 100%. This year has just not been good to us when it comes to tight end injury luck. Bowers is playing out there solely because the two talented tight ends behind him in Pierce Sperlin and Lucky Lawson just happened to be more injured than him. Otherwise, they would have sat him and they would be playing those guys. Otherwise, Georgia's literally playing walk-ons at tight end. That's just how banged up that talented, talented tight end room is just absolutely decimated with injuries right now. They're keeping Bowers out there. They are limiting him for now. Holker, like you said, he is out there. He is going to be playing full 60 minutes. He is going to be heavily involved. He is in a pass-heavy system that is probably going to see him see five to six targets every single week. And quite frankly, after what he did last week, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to go after him even more. He has the highest A dot on that pass-heavy team. He is not somebody they're just dumping it off to. He's the safe option. No. When they're looking downfield, they're looking for their big tiger. I almost said tiger. I'm going to call Holker the tiger now. Uh, they're looking for their big target in Dallin Holker. He is the closest thing that you can get to a weekly starter at tight end right now. And I think even, again, even though Bowers is so hurt, I still would start Bowers over 99% of tight ends. Holker 
and maybe Tanner Koziel are probably the only two in the country that would beat out Bowers if in my sit start dilemma for any of those leagues. So yeah, uh, I would agree with that. One thing I'd note too with Holker, he had a really good game this past weekend, and it could have been even better. He actually had a touchdown that was disallowed. It was it was taken back because of like a holding call. Mm-hmm. But you know. Like they were near the goal line and they basically manufactured a touch for him. They were like six or seven yards out. It was a touch for him and he he worked his way into the end zone. That to me was a good sign on top of just the fact that he had a lot of targets. Like he's a he's a very heavy fixture in that offense. People maybe are not as aware because they were on a bye week, week two. So he had a good game week one and they kind of faded away week two and they reemerged last week, right? But Holger's looking really, really good. Like he could end up tight end one in CFF this year, the way things have looked so far. I mean, he's been extremely, extremely productive. Yeah, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ended up being the tight end one for this year. All righty, that pretty much brings us to the end of our show. We got through an hour and a half. I, I was just looking down. I was fully ready for it to be like an hour, 45 minutes or something like that. No, nope, we, we, we did well on the time there at the very end there, Justin. Justin, appreciate you coming back on every week here to discuss these sit and starts. I know the people out there are really, really enjoying this stuff so far. Again, if you want your sit and start questions answered for next week, be on the lookout for the um, tweet. I got it out late this week. That is my bad, y'all. I thought I put it out on Sunday. I was wondering why nobody was putting down questions and I realized late last, or late, or not even late, like, Monday afternoon that I still hadn't put out the tweet. So that was my bad, y'all. Look for it on Sundays from here on out. If you're on Twitter, those of you in the YouTube comment section, I have had a couple of you guys started asking when you can get your submissions in. I think in the comment section below um, the Monday shows, I'm going to go ahead and start putting down a comment down there that will be kind of the place for you to put your sit and start questions from here on out. So that we can kind of keep those all in one place and make sure that I actually have you guys in the pool of questions to consider each week. So again, be on the lookout for that Monday mornings whenever the Monday show is released. With that being said, again, appreciate you guys tuning in. It's been a ton of fun. We're already a quarter of the way through the season, but still so much football to get through. It's going to be a ton of fun. Justin, before we get out of here, man, what do you got going on over there at the Volume Pig Pen? What can people expect? <laughs> Yeah, same thing as usual, writing about general CFF topics. I do a waiver wire article. I get that out on Sundays. Uh, basically, my morning routine these days is wake up, uh, immediately start typing, try to get that out as soon as possible. Uh, so I usually get that out Sunday afternoons. I do a weekly recap. I'll be releasing it probably tomorrow some point in the afternoon. Uh, and I do all my other typical stuff, like highlighting individual players. I wrote profile on Jamal Bell last week, looking at you know, team systems and things like that. Uh, I also write articles for Canvas to Canon occasionally. I wrote one on Andrew Armstrong last week. Uh, you can also see me featured on um, the fan tracks, John Lobbs, Waiver Wire Gemstones. I usually highlight a couple of players on that one uh, as well. So I'm usually tagged in the post uh, on these videos. You can find me on Twitter and the link to volume takes is there. Yes, sir. Again, like I say, guys, Justin might be the best writer for college fantasy in the space right now. He has an absolute talent when it comes to drawing you in within the first couple of sentences. He could he could literally be writing about the third string tight end at Indiana, and he would find a way to make you care about that player. That is the kind of talent that he has over there. So it is worth, more than worth, the subscription amount every single month over there. So go, definitely go check out his stuff at volumepigs.com. 
until then really appreciate you guys again we're having a ton of fun this season make sure you go check out all the other stuff at campusacanton.com all the stuff we have to offer you there we got the projections that i've been talking about all night use those as a tool obviously use your better judgment if you see something that seems a little off you know if you if, if you see somebody that you're like huh you have them as rb1 but i really don't like that matchup guess what Go with your gut. It's not. It, it it really should be a tool that you use to break ties. If you have two players, you're like, I have no clue which way to go with this yeah. one. Check check to see the projections. Have somebody who has three to four points more. That probably gives you an indication like, okay, maybe there's something I'm missing there. I'll start this guy. But even so, appreciate you guys listening. It's been a fun week, and we will see you guys next Monday for another round of waiver Wire Pickups after what should be an incredible week of college football. Appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful weekend.